everything in your life hinges on this one thing we're going to begin to talk about this morning. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. All right, there is a pattern of this world. There is a train of thought. There is a way of living. There is a way of having relationships. There is a way of getting up and going to work. The, the world has a system or a pattern or a way of doing things. Now, if you allow yourself and you aren't vigilantly plan, on purpose choosing not to let the pattern be there or choosing not to let the pattern be recognized, what happens is you'll find yourself living this pattern and not even realizing it. But it says, do not be conformed any longer. All right? There was a time that it was okay for us to live like the world and talk like the world and think like the world and, and act like the world and end up with the same results that the world ended up. But it says no longer do we have to be subject to this. It says this, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Meaning this, there is another way of thinking there is another way of understanding. There is another way of living. One scripture says this, as a man thinketh, so is he. And you got to know this. If you think like the world, you will live like the world. If you think like the world, you will have what the world has. And I'm here to tell you, I've been there. The world doesn't have anything that can hold a candle to what God has done in my life. And if you've ever had a drink of what God has to offer, you know that there's not even an ounce of what the world has to offer worth a drop of what it is God has. It says, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. In other words, we got to think and we got to understand there is another way of living. Now, you got to know this. Chris, you look sharp this morning, sir. <laughs> I just look at every time I look at it, man, Chris looked sharp this morning. I could never pull that off. Because the minute I got out of, my, out of my car, it would be dirty. But you look great, man. <laughs> my kids would have something spilled on me before I even got in the car. But Chris looks good, man. All right, but it says, don't be conformed to the pattern. There's another way of thinking. Another way of living. Well, you say, well, Cricket, what is that way of living? Well, the way of living in this scripture says this. Then you will be able to test. Everybody say test. And approve. Say approve. What God's will is. That means this. The other pattern of living besides what the world has to offer is that God has a will for you. God has a plan for you. God has a plan that he wants your life. And the Bible actually says in Psalms 139 that he designed your life to live. He made every part about you. He, the way he designed it and the way he made you was to solve the problem that God's will for your life is to do on this earth. You are an answer to something here. And God has a plan for you to live. And it's not just, it's a way. God has a way for you to live. And when you live God's way, what happens is you begin to find yourself in the middle of God's plan. And when you find yourself in the middle of God's plan, everything in your life begins to make sense. But I found this out to be, that if I don't purposefully find myself in the will of God, I will find nothing can bring me fulfillment, no matter how hard I try, no matter how many doors I go to, or how many situations I try to create for myself. I was made for a will. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. It's a plan. God has a plan for your life. It's not by accident. It's not just by floating through. You were put here and there was a plan put in. Now, if you're like me, that word plan, when I think of plans, I'm a builder. I'm a contractor. That's what I do. I, I build. And the way I have learned to make my money was not really building new houses. The way me and Jennifer make our money is we, what we do is we take an old house that was built a long time ago with someone else's plans and we take it and we walk into it and we redo that house. We, we rehab it, we renovate it, and we bring what was once there into something now that's new and modern. Now, saying that to say this, sometimes rehabbing and remodeling something is a lot harder than building from new. 
because you're, if you're a builder, you know that, absolutely, because you're walking into a lot of trouble and issues and problems that maybe somebody before you, like I, the one we just renovated, when we went into it because of the building and the city and the permits and all that that we were pulling, it was, I had needed to add 700 square foot to where there was a shop and there was a garage connected to the back. The problem with it is, is that the roof was two foot, well, the house was built on piers, and the, when, it came, when you went out to the garage, you had to step down two foot, stairwell was going out, and then it had a covered garage, but then it had a workshop connected to it. 780 square feet was connected there to it, but it was two foot too low to make the house seem like an even flow thing. So normally, what I would have done was went in and just tore the whole thing down and rebuilt in the footprint that was there, because that would have been easier. Problem with it is because of permits and different kind of things with the city we were working in, it, would, it was the only way we could get around some of the coding issues that would have, we would run into is if I left the structure standing. Now, the problem with that is when you get into a, when you get into building a home and the roof is two foot too short, but you need the floor to come two foot up to make it an even better, it means you have to take the roof off, build the walls two foot higher, then build the roof on, then come in and build a floor in an existing area, which is extremely difficult when nothing is square and nothing is right and nothing is plumb. And it, what should have taken me a week ended up taking me a month because of dealing with all the issues that existed within this pre-built structure. What I'm saying is this. In this plan that God has for our lives, you know, it would be a lot easier if we would have let, went by His original blueprints and built it the way He wanted to when He began. But the problem with a lot of us is we built our life on the blueprints that we wanted and we had for so long now. We're having to let God get involved in the rehab or the renovation. And we're wondering why it takes God a little bit longer than what we want him to take. It's because we have made some things and put some things in place that are going to take a little bit longer to work around. Why has God not just snapped his finger and made you what you believe and know that God has made you to be? It's because we built a structure that God's having to work with and around. Doesn't mean we can't be changed. Because honestly, this house that we have now is, is totally brought to, to specs and brought, and it's a beautiful home. And you walk into it and you can't even tell that the roof was two foot lower in one part anymore. You can't even tell there's not an even flow all the way through that. And you can't even tell that that wasn't the way it was originally built. It was, but now it looks like when you look at it, it looks like it was designed this way. Why? Because it was the minute we got involved. It just took a little bit longer because of what had happened before we got there. What I'm saying is this. The Bible says this. I know the plans that I have for you. He designed you. He says he made you from the very beginning. And he, designed, he says he designed your innermost beings. He knew you before you were born. He designed you for his plan. The thing about it is we have built our own lives in so many areas that it is taking God a season and a process to rehab some of the things that we put into place. And that's okay. Because you want to know a master builder? God is a master builder. And he's never found a house and he's never found a life that he could not bring back into restoration. Now, I, I love the fine people. I'm not a car guy, but I know what a good looking car looks like. And for example, um, Mark has got the brightest car in town. Now, it wasn't made that way originally, I don't think. They didn't make it that color. But now that if you see him, he drives around. It's a Trans Am, right? It's a Trans Am. I don't, I don't, I'm not a car guy. But when you see him drive by, that car even looks better than it did originally when it came off the showroom floor. But it did not go from showroom floor to that level. It took a dip down first because he had to restore that car, get the transmissions worked out. I knew about the transmission, other parts, so it could be even better. That's God's plan for your life. No matter what kind of mistakes or mess-ups you've made, God is a master restorer. And you need to know this, if you're a car guy, every number will still match. But it will be better than the original plan that you had for it. Because God designed you with this plan in mind. He said he knew your end from your beginning. Meaning he, and he said your latter will be greater than your former. You will end up better when you allow God's plan to begin to work in your life. So tonight, uh, today, uh, what I want to talk about is God's plan for you. God has a plan for you. God has a way for you to live. And, and if you find this plan and you find this way, 
everything in your life will begin to make sense. I have shared this many times and many times before. But you know, I, I growing up, I had learning disabilities, which I don't claim to have them anymore because they are learning abilities to me now. I'm ADD, I'm ADHD, and you're like, well, no doubt, we knew that. You could and I have reading issues, and I graduated with about a third grade reading level. I got to be honest with you. And for years, I was told that those were issues you have. But then when I committed and I connected into the will of God for my life, everything that was wrong with me became right. Because, do you know what? When I got out of Bible school, because I looked 15, the only job I could get was children's pastor. And guess what my reading level let me do? Let me walk right in and be able to understand the Bible at a level that the people that I were to pastor connected at. I'm saying everything wrong with you. Every Zacchaeus was a wee little man, man of short stature. And because he was little, he got probably made fun of. He probably got beat up a lot. That's probably why he grew up in a life of crime. It's because of he would look at his disabilities and think these are shortcomings, but he had no idea. It was because of the shortcomings that one day it was going to cause an encounter with Jesus. And the Bible says when he came to the place, he looked up in the tree. That was preordained encounter from God and just because if he would have been the tallest man in the bunch he never would have climbed you got to understand everything that's wrong with you or everything that the world would say is wrong with you when you get into the will of God for your life it becomes everything that God made you to be I'm not saying you're not to get better and I work on my reading constantly because I don't want my kids to ever have an excuse not to go to as far the highest level they can. So I sit and I read, and me and my girls, we, I, I, they, they laugh at me a lot of times because, uh, you know what I'm saying, that Alexis, and I, I'm going to brag on her every chance I get, she um, just got uh, what the award of slash the President's Award, the, uh, the uh, Trump Award in her school. She's in fourth grade. She's graduating out of her elementary school and uh, going into what they call media, intermediate school. And she got like what the fourth grade level valedictorian of her school in a school of 1,200 kids. I tell you, she, she, she's got this, so she's got a reading level, a college, when they did their state testing, she had a college reading level um, ability on their state testing. says she did not get that from me. That's proof that God specifically designs people for their purpose because that was not inherited. I'm just telling you. People say, well, she got it from Jennifer. Let me just tell you proof that Jennifer's not that smart. Okay? Look who she married. Say, that, that will knock any, that, that, that'll be, in. Jennifer may be good at everything, but when, when her choice of marrying people, that proves that she just don't got it all right here. But we don't want her to know yet. Because, uh, but, so God's will. I want to read something to you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. And we're going to close, I'm, I'm going to give you a test today. Not a test to take in here, but a test that you'll take that will, if you can answer these six questions, it will guarantee you, you will find yourself in the will of God. Wouldn't you like to know what those six questions are? Probably the most life-altering questions. This will be the most life-altering set of questions you will ever have. Because if you can answer these six, you will know whether yes or no, you are in the will of God for your life. Or you are living the plan that God has for you. But in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Another translation says, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Some of us need to understand. We need to let God in on the planning of our life. A lot of times, we just try to plan this thing out on our own. We try to do what we think is the best. We try to do what we think is the smartest. We try to do what we think is the, the most natural. But let me say, there is a world way of thinking. But there's also a God's plan for your life. And even though something may be a good idea, does not mean it's a God idea. And if you move on a good idea, then when you make good decisions... Not everybody involved in the situation may end up in a good place. But if you make a God decision, the promise is all things will work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose or His plan. Everything works out good for you when you begin to live God's plan. Now, the thing about God's plan is this. 
It's not forced on you. You get a choice whether or not you want to live it or not. God, you, you could go through your whole life and never accomplish a single thing God planned for you to live here. It says in Psalms 139 that there's a book in heaven with your name on it and every one of your days are written on that book. Now, you don't have to live the script. You can get up and live every day how you want to live every day. That's your choice. And I'm here to tell you, if you live your life the way you want to live your life and make every decision according to the way you want to or the way you even think should be, because the Bible says there are many thoughts that seem good to a man, but they will bring destruction to him. But God's way, God's way will bless everyone involved. So what you want to do is you want to find God's plan for your life. Now, in Psalms 139.16, it says this. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be. There is a blueprint in heaven for God has, that God has made for you to live. Now, James 4.13 says this. Now, listen. You say, tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we will go to this city, and we will spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Now, that sounds like a pretty good life. But what James is saying here is, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now, we have a this or that mentality a lot of times. We, we don't let God's plan get involved. A lot of times, we just get up and we catch ourselves going through the motions of living life, getting up, going to work, going home, and don't understand that God says, God says, you can do that. James said, hey, you can do this. But there's a better way of doing it. There's a better way of doing it. The better way of doing it is you get up and you say, God, I know that you have a plan for my life and I put my life into what God's plan is. I'm going to tell you how in just a minute, how we're going to get it. But it says, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. Such, all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and, do, and to him does not, for him it is sin. Now that you know that God has a better way of living than just what your opinion or your thought patterns are, you need to know this. If you know there's something better, the Bible says it's a sin if you don't do it. You need to understand that it is a sin if you don't fulfill the will of God for your life. There are two thrones in heaven we will stand before. One is the throne with the Lamb's book of life will be held before us. This can be found in the book of Revelations. We will get into this later, but it says you'll come before this throne. And when you come before this throne, God will open the book and say, number one question, what did you do with Jesus? And if you did not accept him as your personal savior, your name will not be there. The Bible says that you will be cast out into the uttermost darkness, the lake of fire. You will not go to heaven. So number one, the first throne you come for is that throne the lamb, where the Lamb's book of life is. The next throne is the throne of judgment. And they don't ask what you did with Jesus. He asked what you did with what he gave you here. In other words, what I do here matters. That's why when you got saved, you didn't just not, boom, go to heaven. That would make more sense if it was just about getting saved. You, if you were getting, when you got saved, you didn't just get teleported there because there was, the reason why he left you here is because there's work for you here to do. You were planned to be on this planet and to make a difference. Now, here at this church, what we believe, and these are the steps we're going to help people take this year, is we believe the way you make that difference and you live that plan can be found in five easy steps. One, you need to know God. Number two, you need to find freedom. Because you will not be able to accomplish what God has for you if you are bound, if you're addicted, if you're broken, if you're sick. God wants you to be set free. And whom the Son says free is free indeed. He wants you to be able to be what He created you to be. So you're going to find freedom. Number three is we're going to help you discover your destiny. Find what God put you here to do. And the way we're into the process we're doing, that's why Brother Yvette's in Birmingham today. Because uh, he is being trained, we are going to do what we call our growth track. They will be starting next month. One, I've had this question asked to me every week. How do I become a member? Step one, go to growth track number one. The reason why we've been holding off on our membership class this year, because we've been getting ready for this, the launch, to go through step one. We'll be doing it once a month after service. We'll be providing a meal, and you go, and you'll go through this class. It'll talk about who we were, where victory came from, who victory is, and where victory is going. You need to know that if you want to be a part of this. Because if you don't want to be a part of it, if you don't know where we're going, you don't want to be a part. I'm not going to get in your car if you're not telling me where we're going. 
You're going to tell me up front, and I'm going to have to decide, do I want to go? So that's the purpose of membership class. Then number two, we do what we call Discover Your Destiny, and that's when Brother Yvette's being trained today by professionals. The number one, it's the largest and fastest growing church in America right now. They're training him today on how to find your place in this thing because you were born for more than drawing a check. You can live your life to draw a check or you can live your life according to the will that God's put you here to do and that is to be a part of the kingdom of God and make a difference. Step four is, well, how do I do that? Well, it's going to take you being, we believe, filled with the Holy Spirit. And so a lot of people argue that and you say, well, I don't want to be a tongue talker. You don't got to worry about being a tongue talker because the Bible says these signs will follow them that believe. If you don't believe in that, it's not going to happen. But we do believe that your life needs to be empowered by the Holy Spirit because the destiny that God's put on your life is greater than what you've been able to live up to this point. But God will empower you to do things that only He can empower you to do. You'll be able to say no to things that you weren't able to say no to before. You'll be able to walk free from things through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we'll be, we're, we believe that that's one of the process. And then number four, number five is you to make a difference. You to make a difference. This is going to be a church that this year we're going to make a difference in this community. This community will be better because we're here. And so that is the purpose of what we do. And we believe that is connected to the will of God. But now I want to break down the will of God just a little bit for you, if that's okay. Because, see, a lot of people don't understand how to find the will of God. And it's not as complicated as we've made it a lot of times. Now, how many of you guys use iPhone? How many of you guys use Siri on your iPhone? Wouldn't it be cool... If God was like Siri, and you say, God, tell me a joke. And, you know, you can ask Siri on your iPhone, Siri, tell me a joke. And Siri just rattle off some of the funniest jokes you've ever heard. You know, you can ask Siri, I, like I, I, I can say, Siri, call Jennifer. And my phone will call Jennifer my wife. I've got seven Jennifers in my phone. But it, when I say Siri, call Jennifer, it will call Jennifer. Do you know why? It's because the first time I told it to call Jennifer, it would ask, which Jennifer do you want to call? But because of a period of time of me having a conversation with Siri, she has begun to learn, and it has, technology has kept up with, it has begun to read voice patterns, and the more you use it, the more frequently it is. I can say, Siri, call Jennifer, and it'll call Jennifer Baby Doll. If you look at my phone, that's why her name's under. It would be weird if she if it called other gender, but series of, and if technology can do that, I want you to know something. God can do the same thing. God is as easy as Siri. You can ask God anything you want to, any way you want to. And God will give you an answer. God answers every time you call. Now, the thing about it is a lot of people don't hear God. And the reason why they don't hear God, but is for you to know the will of God, is the utmost important that you learn to hear God is because you'll never know the will of God until you learn to hear the voice of God. And so we're not going to deepen the voice of God, but let me tell you how the voice of God works. It works upon the same way Siri works. The more and more and more you talk to God and the more and more and more you hear God, it becomes a voice recognition pattern. And so like Siri can know exactly what Jennifer, I'm saying call or text, God will, you'll be able to pick him up. I can show it to you in, in John chapter 10. It says this, it says, my sheep know my voice and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Now that's a weird concept for us because we don't live in the day of shepherds, but you can Google this and watch it on YouTube that there'll be a bunch of shepherds standing in a field with a bunch of sheep and one shepherd will walk off and start singing or start speaking and it's the weirdest thing. Those sheep that are mingled all in together, a bunch of different shepherds, they will all begin to follow that one shepherd because of the voice recognition that they have for the sheep. Now check this out. The reason why that is is because sheep will follow who feeds them and who leads them. You need to know this. If you're going to hear God's voice, then the voice of God and the word of God has to be what feeds you and what leads you. I'll explain that a little bit better. If you are being fed off anything else, whatever voice is the most, ra- uh, the most common and most heard voice in your life is the voice that you follow. Problem with that is this. A lot of us are completely, the one that we hear the most is our own thoughts. That's why when we look in a mirror or we step up to the plate to do something for God, we'll hear that all the negative thinking and all the negative feelings will associate it with it because we're not hearing the shepherd. We're hearing a voice that we've... Uh, you can take a kid, put them in a room full of people, and the mother can say, stop it. And that kid will know exactly who she's talking to. 
Because that's the most dominant voice in her, the one she's heard the most, the most, the one that's been. When you get your life to the place that on purpose, that you make the voice of God and the word of God such a part of your life, you don't have to worry about not hearing God. You cannot be in the word. You cannot be in church. You cannot be in, in a connection relationship with God for any length of time without you beginning to recognize when God speaks to you. You say, well, Cricket, I don't, I don't ever hear God speak to me. Well, then you need to invest in being fed off the Word. Next thing is, you have to invest in willing to follow what the Word says. Like I said, sheep follow voices that feed them and lead them. Now, God is okay with you not trusting Him up front. That's why in the Scripture, He says, you, you can test Him. Gideon wasn't completely convinced, even though an angel jumped up in the room and spoke to just that alone would make me think, all right, I can trust this thing. Look at this. I mean, if I saw an angel pop up before me, you wouldn't have to try to convince me that this is God. I've never seen one. It's never happened. But I, in my mind, I, I figure it's a pretty explosive event. One that, you know what I'm saying? I've had other people having God encounters, an angel encounter, and I'm like, how in the world could you ever walk away from that? I never got one of those. But Gideon said, you know what? I, just to be sure if that you're really, angel, you're standing here and you're telling me all this but just to be sure you're God I want you to and he gave him the fleece put dew on the thing God don't mind you testing him and I put this before you that's why we started this year off the way we did we did the 90 day tithing challenge and we had probably 60 people in the church take the challenge with the cards that we had signed up and not a single one of them after the 90 days asked for their money back not a single one we would have gave it back to them. I would have just saved their money for them because I've never seen God's word fail. Never seen it fail. God's fantastic. If you, when you, if you don't understand and you can't hear God, what you need to do, number one, you need to feed on it. Every day, read your Bible. Every day, read your Bible. Every day, read your Bible. Number two, every day try to do what that Bible said when you read it. And test God in this area. Let it feed you. Let it lead you. And you will begin to hear God speak to you about your life. Now, talking about the will of God, you need to go, let's go into the theology of it just for a minute. All right, there in Romans chapter 12, 2, it said, the will of God is. Then it said, the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. By breaking the will of God down into three areas, there are all the way through the theme of the scripture, theology speaking, there are three ways that we can tell, kind of like three guidelines how to make sure we live in the perfect will of God. Because you can live in any three of these. You can live in the good, you can live in the acceptable, or you can live in the perfect. The perfect is the one that you want to live in because it's the most fulfilling. But another way to say it is this. There are three wills of God. One is the sovereign will of God. There is a sovereign will of God. And what that means is this. The sovereign will of God is what God's going to do no matter what. You can't change God's mind. God has a sovereign will. For example, in Daniel chapter 4 verse 35 it says this. Whatever God wants to do, he's going to do it and can't nobody stop it. There is a sovereign will of God. God has decided at dates and points in our future and in our lives that things are going to happen. Whether you want them to happen or not, no matter how many times I pray on my knees, God, please don't let me go before the throne of judgment. It will not stop me from going before the throne of judgment. That is the sovereign will of God. Now, the outcome of that judgment will be determined by how I live here and how I pray here and those kind of things, but I'm going for it. Just like Jesus, the sovereign will of God was for Jesus to come. And no matter what nobody did, and they tried, they tried to kill every baby, they tried to, tried to get the wise men to trick him and deceive, they tried every way possible to stop Jesus from coming, they could not. The sovereign will of God are things that God has decided that are going to happen no matter what. Now, the cool thing about the sovereign will of God is God does these things through people. God does the sovereign will of God through people. And this is what, the, in the book of Acts, they said, they were talking about Paul, and they were like, we got to put a stop to him. And one guy was smart to say, if this is a God thing, we can't stop. There's nothing we can do. We can't stop it. You need to understand that when you are in the sovereign will of God, what God wants to do is work his sovereign will through you. He wants to do use you to do amazing things. You can see it best in the life of Mary. Mary was just an ordinary girl that decided to position herself in a place for the sovereign will of God to be flowed through her. Jesus was coming. No one could stop it, but people could decide to be a part of it or not. 
when we position ourselves in the place for God to be able to bring his will about through us, then you can be used in mighty ways that you never expected to be used. That's why I always belong to a church. There are positions you can take, things you can belong to, places you can be in, that when God decides, and it is his time for the sovereign will of God to happen, if I have positioned myself right, God can do them through me. You need to understand, he'll do them without you. If you're in the wrong position, they're going to happen without you. Great example of this is this. He told 500 to go up to the upper room and wait for the Holy Spirit. And 120 went. But the Holy Spirit still came. Even though 380 decided it wasn't that important. They missed out on being used by the sovereign will of God or getting to be a part of something that changed the world forever. Your position matters. If God's sovereign will is for your children to have an experience with Him, you can be a dad at home, being the dad you're supposed to be, or God will use someone else. A pastor, a leader, a teacher. Because the sovereign will of God, God loves your children more than you do. The sovereign will of God, they will get a chance to encounter Him. You need to understand, the sovereign will of God can't be stopped. It's what God's already decided to do. Number two, the moral will of God. There is a moral will of God, and the moral will of God is basically God's thou shalt and thou shalt not. It's his house rules. It's the things that God, like you say, what, what is God's moral will? Well, I don't have to pray, God, do you want me to steal that piece of candy when I walk in the gas station? That's wrong. That's against his will. I don't have to say, God, should I cheat on my wife? Don't even have to ask that question. That's the ma- that is the, ma- the, the moral will of God is what keeps my life, you need to understand, in a place and positioned to where God's sovereign will can flow through me. If I choose to live out of the moral will of God, God's way of me living, and you say, well, Cricket, what is that? That's what you find in his word. When you're reading the scripture and the Holy Spirit touches you in an area, that is his word. And he's, what he's doing is saying, all right, this is a will of God I want working through your life. And when you decide to line up with the moral will of God, it positions you for the sovereign will of God. Does that make sense? All right, so there's the moral will of God. There's the sovereign will of God. And if you will put yourself in a place, and you don't try to make the scripture fit your lifestyle, you try to make your lifestyle fit the scripture, you will live the moral will of God, you will position yourself to be used to the sovereign will of God, and then the third personal will of God can't be stopped from happening in your life. There's the sovereign, there's the moral, and then there is the personal. Now the personal is what is unique to you. He's what you put, he's put you here to do. It's what everything about you and the parts of you that even you don't even understand, but the Bible says he did. He put you and made you this way because it's a part of what he wants to use you to do to make a difference in this world. Now, that's a lot of theology being said, but you know, it's, not as, it's not as complicated as it sounds. Um, it's actually kind of easy to find. And one of the easy ways to find it is simply taking this six-point rule. Well, let me, let me ask you this. First of all, let's go to the moral will because that you say, well, cricket, that's left up to opinion. That's opinion because, you know, give me a list of sins. Well, the Bible we just read, him that knows to do good and does it not to him it is sin. So that's a little different. This could be different for each and, each and every single person in here because knowledge of what God is wanting you to do or speaking into your life can be different than the one that God is speaking to someone else. So let me give you a two-question pop quiz on how to know whether or not you're in the moral will of God. Number one, you can write these questions down. What am I doing right now that I shouldn't be doing? If you can answer that question, then you'll know where you sit on the moral will of God. Is there anything in my life that I'm doing right now that I know I shouldn't do? Man, I, I got in the flesh the other day with Lexi. Uh, we were in a grocery store, and she started a fight with her sister right in front of everybody. And I'm human, embarrassed me like it does you. And so I got out in the car. I was like, what were you thinking? I don't know. I was kid, you know better. That I don't know. Yeah, I, I was verbally hard on I had to repent for two days. It felt horrible. But I was like, what are you doing? You know better. You know better. How many times does God have to tell us you know better? It's like when we get in the heat of the moment, we forget what we know to do. 
And when we know better, I want you to know something. We have to consciously make the decision to do better. If we want to be in the moral will of God. I don't care what everybody else does. If you know better. If God has shown you better. If God has spoke to you and called you to do better. For you to be in the personal will of God, you got to first get in the moral will of God, which positions you for the sovereign will of God, which will release you into the personal will of God in your life. So I don't have to call sins by names. I just have to ask you personally, and you don't got to tell me, is there anything I'm doing right now that I shouldn't be doing? Number two, pop quiz on moral will of God. Is there anything that I'm not doing that I should? If you can answer those two questions, and you can answer, to the, answer them rightly, you will know where you stand with the moral will of God. And then when you get to the place where you're happy with those answers and you believe that God will be happy with those answers, you already know your position to the sovereign will of God, which will launch you into the personal will of God. So now, how do we find out, am I in the personal will of God? And going forward, how do I make good decisions? Or how do I, because now when you're reading your Bible, it doesn't say, it didn't, nowhere in the Bible did it tell me to marry Jennifer. But I knew. How do you know? Because there are six surefire questions that you can ask yourself every time you go to make a decision that will help you know whether or not it's the personal will of God for you. Now, some people like to do this. Lord, if you want me to do it, I'm going to open my Bible and I'm going to put it right there. That will get you in trouble every single time. You've heard other people make jokes about it. That will get you in trouble. See, th- we were trained this from the very beginning. How many of you guys remember when you were younger and you were playing sports or basketball? But guys, probably. You say, all right, if I shoot this one, then God wants me to ask her out. If I make this and you shoot and you miss it, well, well, God wants me to take another shot at that one. And you, you're at, if this, then that. If this, then that is a circumstantial guess in the dark thing about God. That's not the way God's will works for your life. There are six questions. Number one. Let me get to my notes because I got scripture references for you too. Number one, question you ask to know if you're in the personal will of God, know if you're not in the personal will of God is this. Where am I at in my relationship with God right now? Am I in a right relationship with God right now? Your answer to that question will let you know whether or not you're in the will of God or not. Is my relationship with Him at the right place? Am I living in connection with God the way that I know I'm supposed to be living? Where am I at with my relationship with Him? Where am I spiritually? See, God asked Adam when he came down. He said, Adam, where are you? Wasn't because he did not know where he was, where Adam was. It was, he was saying, where are you at position? Where positionally, spiritually are you at in your life? You were here, but now you've done some things that you knew you wasn't supposed to do, so now you're here. And are you happy being here when you know you could be here? So where are you at spiritually? Number two, what does the Bible say about this? You have to understand that there is no truth unless there's a baseline of truth. And we don't get to set the rules for life. The Bible, the Bible was given to us as a GPS or as a roadmap or as a plan. The Bible says Jesus found himself in the scripture. What does the Bible say about this? When you come up against a decision, what does the Bible say about it? Because, see, we got to understand that the Bible says this. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When it comes to decision making, you just don't get to decide what you think is the best and not be in the perfect will of God. You're rolling the dice at that moment if you're going by how you feel. See, a lot of times we want to go by how we feel and not by what faith is. We walk by faith, not by sight. A lot of times we try to walk by feelings instead of by faith. And what faith simply is, is what the Word of God says. It ain't a feeling on the inside of you. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is the Word. And if you don't know what the Word says, then you do not have faith in that area. Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So every major decision that you come up in life, you need to first of all say, you know, am I living in right relationship with God? One. Number two, what does the Bible say about this? There has to be a baseline of truth. And now, 
we live in a day and age where the baseline of truth can be so easy for each one of us to live. If I would have asked everybody in this room 12 years ago, would everybody in here that has a flashlight pull it out right now and turn it on? Only the nerds would do it. Think back. 12 years ago, only nerds carried flashlights. If you carried a flashlight, I'm sorry. Now if I ask everybody in this room to pull out their flashlight, every single person has one. It's become a way of life. I run by mine. I'm telling you, things I used to do 12 years ago without a light, I could not even think about doing it now. I keep it right by my bed when I get up in the morning. If I'm going to go get a drink of water, I'd get my phone off my table and I hit my light on when I walk in there. Because if I don't, somebody moves the kitchen. And I will hit stuff all the way through there. We, the, the, we live in a day where there's no excuse for us not to have a light in our life. Problem is, the reason why we don't like to use it is because sometimes it'll say things that we don't want to do. Or sometimes it'll say things that'll tell us to do something different than the way we want to do it. But you need to understand, if you want to be in the perfect will of God, number two, it has to be backed up by what the Scripture says. I do not have to ask or spend any time asking if Hannah is going to be my wife. I have one, and she's got a husband. I don't need to pray about that at all. That's not the will of God. Why? Because the Bible tells me that I've got a wife, and I'm to lay down my life for her. Does that make sense? See, a lot of times we spend a lot of time praying over things that go against what the Word of God says because we want them. And what will happen is you can pester God long enough that He will pull back far enough. He will let you walk right into that mousetrap. Balaam is a prime example of it. God told him no three times. He wanted that money more than he wanted to be right with God. He walked in seven. It liked to cost him his life. Number two, what does the Bible say about it? This is what it says in James chapter 3, verse 14. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor any bitter envy and self-ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but from earth, unspiritual, demonic. For where you are, where you have envy and self-ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. It says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace and reap harvests of righteousness. What does that mean? Any decision I try to make out of a selfish ambition, when decisions I make that could look good, you know how many people ruin families because they make a decision to take a job because they don't think about the jobs that, the, the, them taking that job and maybe moving them to another city or putting them in another place to do something is going to have effect on their kids or their wife. You need to understand, the Bible says this, when you go to make a decision, Number one, you've got to find out what the Word of God says about it because your decisions affect people in your life. And if you just do what you want to do or do what you think is right or do think how you want to do it, you're affecting somebody. I want you to know something. You don't have the right to pick who your friends are. The Bible says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? What fellowship does God have with Baal? I, I'm here to tell you, husbands and wives, you don't have the right if you're going to be in the perfect will of God, to hang out with whoever you want to hang out with. And not be in the perfect will of God. There are some relationships that if you're married, for you to honor your wife and for you to honor your husband, you're not going to be able to have. I'm, I'm going to go this far. Single people don't need to run around and socially live with married people. Married people don't need to run around and socially live the way single people do. Why? Because there's different rules in the Bible for them. What does the Bible say? You have to know. And whatever, you go to make a decision about what you're going to make. Number two is that you got to know what the Bible says about it. Your decisions you make affect others. Number three, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? You say, well, I don't know. Well, everything he did is in the Bible. Everything he did is written in the Word. And if you don't know how Jesus would respond to somebody about something, you need to look in the Scripture and find the example that He functioned and lived with that way. Jesus was hard on sin. He was. Jesus was very hard on religious spirits. Jesus was never hard on a sinner. 
Jesus loved and had compassion for anyone who needed the Lord. You need to know, what would Jesus do? You need to ask that question. Number four, have you sought godly counsel? This is probably the single most important decision in the six, besides number six, six is probably the biggest, that you will find yourself in. You have to understand that you don't know it all. I understand. I don't know it all. You need, I have every, I, every, the Bible says I have authority because I'm under authority. And I got to be honest with you. Even though my job is to hear from God, I get paid to do that. As a pastor, that's what I get paid to do. I don't always get it right. I miss it a lot. If you look back at my track record, it's not real hot. So what I have is I have spiritual authority over my life. And they're godly counsel. See, you guys, I'm the pastor of this campus. I have three pastors. I had four. One of them passed away and went to be with the Lord a few years ago. It takes four people to keep me straight. So I've been asking God to give me another. Give me another replace. And this is what, I mean, and so over the last couple weeks conspiring, uh, God is positioning another one that is actually asked. What I come, um, how many of you guys are familiar with John Kilpatrick? The Brownsville Revival. Me and Jennifer get to go have a meeting with him on Ju- uh, July 2nd because he's already asked Jennifer, could he be a spiritual father to her? He wants to meet me to see if he can be a spiritual father to me as well. I do not do things without me passing my decisions and my things that I'm going to make without it passing through spiritual authority. If you work at the church, you know. I don't make any decisions without checking with that first. Why? Because there is protection under authority. There is protection in correction. And if you can be corrected, I promise you this, you will always stay protected. And so you got the Bible, I would say, show it to me in the scripture. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, For the lack of guidance, a nation falls. But victory is won through many advisors. I need people that can hear from God watching over my life to tell me, yes, cricket, that's a good idea. And I have to be willing. You need to understand whether no matter how bad I want to, when they say no, I step back. Does your spiritual authority condone? Do they, it, it, when I go to make a decision, I go ask my spirit. Now, there's a lot of times my spiritual authority sit back and be like, you know what, you need to hear from God on this one. And when I do hear from God, I come back and say, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And they'll tell me, yes, sir. Because, see, what happens is a lot of times is we get so amped up or we get so excited or we get so heart-connected to things and decisions, we can't see what's around the corner. And spiritual authority are spiritual overseers. Number five, do I sense God's peace in this? Do I sense God's peace in this? Because something can look like a good decision and still not be a God decision. I'm telling you, I, I was dating a girl one time that was perfect on paper. Perfect. I mean, if I showed you her pictures, you'd be like, yeah. If I showed you her pedigree, come from ministry, yeah. I could never get peace. Never get peace. It was just not there. I did not know why. She looked right. But when I broke it off two days later, I met Jennifer. And it was right. There's a difference. And if you don't have peace in a decision, the Holy Spirit, that's one of the major ways He leads, is through peace. If you can't get peace in a situation, step back. You say, well, Cricket, what does peace sound like? You'll know it when you feel it. And you'll know it when you don't have it. And don't push anything through a door where peace is absence. Because one of the signs that it's the presence of God or the will of God for your life is, is accompanied with peace. Number six, and we're done. This is the most important. Is it God's will or is it my will? You have to ask that question. Jesus had to ask that question. He said, Father, not my will, but thine will be done. Because you need to understand, no matter how good of intentions you want for yourself, God has better. God's will can be trusted. God's will can see your end from your beginning. And there is a difference in how bad you want to do it 
and what God wants you to do. It can look completely right. Say like this, you know, the reason why you find in the will of God in your life is so important because it will bring fulfillment that only in your life can be filled by it. Elvis Presley, just about everybody loves Elvis. You know, when Elvis was alive, he had 300 impersonators in the United States that impersonated him. Since he's dead, there's countless thousands. He, when he died, he was the most loved rock singer there was. To this day, they say there's over a billion Elvis Presley fans. When people hear him, of all ages, of all races, of all everything, Elvis just connects. His daughter put in the Daily Digest that no matter how gifted Elvis was, he knew there was a great purpose connected to his life. He did not know if he was to be a preacher. He did not know if he was to be a singer. He did not know if he was supposed to lead praise or a gospel singer. He just knew he was here for a purpose. But his daughter wrote, but he never surrendered to it. So every night, that's why he got on stages, so he did not have to think about it. He kept him so busy that he didn't have to look at what he was here to do until eventually the unfulfillment of not being what God's made you killed him. I don't know personally what the will of God for your life is, but I do know this. It is to make a difference. Every single person in this room has a call and a will of God on their life that is so big that it will change the world around us. You can go ahead and start playing out. We're closing. But this is what you have to know. I don't know where it is and what level it is, but there was a story I heard the other day that just blew me away. Blew me away. It was about these two teenagers that had just got kicked out of a youth group. And their church was having a revival the next week. So they went to the revival, and when they got there, the house was packed out, and they were kind of known as the troublemakers in that church. And so when they came to the door, they, wanted, they got there late and they wanted to go in and the usher at the door stopped them and said, I'm sorry, we're full. There's no room for you. He didn't want to lift a finger to help these two people that had been causing him trouble all this time. But as they were leaving in the parking lot, another usher called him and said, hey, I got a seat for you. And he went and he asked his wife to move and he gave these two teenagers that seat. Now the first teenager's name was Grady Wilson. The second teenager's name was Billy Graham, who went on to touch millions of people around this world. What I'm saying is this. I don't know if you're called to be the usher that gives the next Billy Graham a seat, or I don't know if you're the next Billy Graham that God brought in here today to line you up under the will of God for you to change this world. But I do know this. There's a plan of God on your life so big. And it is so fulfilling. And it will make such a difference in this world that when you step into it, everything will change. Your family's depending on it. Your church is depending on it. The city's depending on it. And I'm here to tell you, it will affect the world. All we have to do is step into the personal will of God. So this is my question, and we're done. Is this... Where are you at in the will of God for your life? Are you where you know you're supposed to be? Or are you somewhere else because you're just not ready yet? Because that's what it comes down to. Because you need to understand this. God loves you so much, He will allow circumstances to keep happening in your life to drive you to your knees because He designed you for purpose. So if you're just not ready yet, at least you know. But if you're here and you say, Cricket, I'm ready for the will of God. And I'm going to take the next step. And I'm going to give on purpose the attention. I'm going to give on purpose the energy to finding what His will for my life is. I will give up 
whatever it is in my life morally that I'm not supposed to have, I will position myself in a place where the sovereign will of God can flow. And I, you know, I didn't say, you know where the three places the sovereign will of God can If you're not in your family, the, God, the sovereign will of God can't flow through you and your family. If you're not in your church, the sovereign will of God can't flow through you for your church. And if you're not actively involved in your community helping somebody else, God can't use you in your community. Are you ready to take the next step? I'm going to start right here and say this. I don't even know if you're even started the journey of the will of God, but if you're here this morning, you say, Cricket, I'm not at all in the will of God, but I'm ready to accept Him. Would you simply just raise your hand? If you need to accept Jesus as your Savior, that's where it starts. First of all, you've got to know God. You've got to know God. You just raise your hand, I'll pray with you. Right, you put your hand right down. You just put your hand right down. Got you guys, we're going to pray. Everybody's going to pray with you. You ready? Give these two a big hand clap. You're going to be in the will of God. I just simply say, Dear Father, thank you for creating me the way that I am. With a purpose and a blueprint and a plan for my life. And right now, I surrender to it. I ask Jesus to come into my life and be my Lord. I believe He died. I believe He rose again. And from this day forward, as you show me the steps, I will take them in your plan for my life. In Jesus' name, amen. That was step one for those that made that prayer for the first time. Step two is this. Make it public. We're going to have a baptism here next week. You need to make it public. We've already got two people signed up for baptism. If you've never been baptized, or you say, well, Cricket, why do I need to be baptized? You know what makes a difference if I wear a wedding ring or not? Every woman in here that's married would tell you that. To men, they think, oh, it don't matter if I wear my ring or not. Ask your wife. She better wear your ring. I'm telling you. If I lose my ring, it matters to Jennifer. Baptism is a wedding ring of salvation. It's so that other people will know what God did on the inside of you. So if you just made that prayer for the first time, you need to sign up at the registration desk to be baptized next Sunday, all right? It's not going to be odd. It's not going to be weird. Just bring a change of clothes and a towel. We'll baptize you during the worship service next week. Real quick, be done, but everybody will know. There'll be no question, all right? And you know what happens when everybody knows? They help you walk it out. In other words, if you were cussing last week and you get baptized this week and you go back to work and you go to cuss again, they're like, didn't you just get baptized? It'll remind you, all right? So that's why it's important. Number two is that. But then number three is you need to get in and help us find freedom. Help yourself find freedom. The way you find freedom is God does things in your life, but then you walk outside of here with people. You'll never be free alone. You have to have relationships. That's why God told Abraham it's not good to be alone. I mean, not Abraham. God told Adam. It wasn't good for him to be alone. Even though he wasn't alone, God was there. People help you stay free. When I'm having a bad day, I can call somebody that keeps me free. And I can complain. Or if I'm thinking bad about somebody or thinking wrong about a situation, I got people I can call and be like, hey man, I'm thinking about that. And they can help me stay free. You're thinking wrong. Or could you just hang in there? The Bible says David was a giant killer. But there was a day he woke up, he got so worn out in the battle that a giant stepped in. And the Bible says was fixing to kill him. But Abishai stepped in between him and that giant. And Abishai killed that giant. You need people. There's going to be giants you can't fight alone. You better get some good people in a good church that get to be a part of your life. That's why we believe in small groups. And we're going to begin to work our small groups better than we've ever had because you need people. Number three, discover your destiny. You need to go through our membership class. You say, Craig, are you trying to build this? Yes, I'm trying to get you to do what God's created you to do and be what God's created you to be. So it'll be a two-part process. It'll be starting next month. Yvette's going to be in train now. The number four... You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You do. Because it gives you a power. The Bible says, and they receive power when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then number four, the minute you walk out this door, you need to start making a difference. You need to start living for someone besides yourself. That's what making a difference is. I do something for someone else, not because it's convenient, not because I have that, I'm compassionate, it's because that's what God put me here to do. And when you start making a difference in people's lives, it starts changing the world God puts you in. If you say, Cricket, I'm ready to take that step, I want you to make that commitment before the Lord. The praise team here, oh, you know, this is usually how it works. Do y'all know this song? I'll say yes. Lord, 
yes to your will and to your way. Do y'all know that one? I'll say yes, Lord, yes. I will trust you and obey. How's it go? Spirit speaks to me. With my whole heart, I'll agree. And I will will be, yes, Lord. Can I tell you how most of us sing it really in our heads, though? Or in our life? It says, I'll say maybe, Lord, maybe. If what you're asking is not too hard, I'll say, I'll think about it, I'll think about it, I'll think about it. If you promise me a new car, when your spirit speaks to me, and it doesn't cost me that much, I'll say, I'll think about it, I'll think about it, I'll think about it. And then we never do. But the way you live God's will is you just start with a yes. Don't wait for Him to bait you or buy you or bribe you or just say yes. It's what you were born to do. It was what you were created to be. And you will find more happiness and fulfillment in your life than you could ever imagine if you can just say yes. So if your heart's cry here today is this, Lord, I want to say yes. Then you just start by standing to your feet and you sing this song. Now, if you're here today and you're at the level of the step where you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, our prayer warriors, our prayer leaders are going to come up here and they will pray with you individually to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sister Vassar, Brother Maurice, all you guys, come on up. If you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, that's your next step, then you need to do it. He's come up here. He's not going to ruin you. He's not going to embarrass you. You will not flop around like a brim and flap like a fish. You will not do that. He will only go as far in your life as you allow Him to.